Welcome to the Creekwood Church Podcast. Creekwood is growing and we are so excited about the Future West Campus. If you're interested in learning more about the building project, visit creekwoodchurch.com beyond or click the Beyond button on the Creekwood Church app. We hope this message inspires and encourages your faith. Before we jump into today, I want to tell you about something coming up for parents. Parents, if you're here, uh, here at Creekwood, we do something called Parent Resource Night. Um, we believe deeply in the next gen. I love that Pastor Stephen, uh, man, believes deeply in the next gen here at Creekwood. And, and we're going to be talking about technology. It's session number two, uh, October the 23rd. All the details, all that stuff's online. But I just wanted to mention it to you so that you can get that on the calendar. And listen, um, if you were here for session one, Session two, uh, we're gonna go a little bit further, so it's gonna be helpful for you. If you weren't here for session one, you can still attend session two and it'll still be helpful for you. But here's what we know. We know that kids are growing up in a really fast-paced, crazy world, and this thing called technology doesn't make it any simpler. So we're gonna talk about how we can better understand, how we can better steward the responsibility of technology so that we can help raise kids in this world, amen? So parents, I want to invite you out to that. Make sure you mark that on your calendars. Um, well, today we're going to be jumping into week two of the Holy Bible. How many of you guys were here last week as we kicked this off? Holy Bible, Pastor Kendall got into it. We learned so much about the Bible last week. And today we're going to be jumping in, going a little bit further um, with our Bible today. Um, but man, I, I know that the Bible is super important. I know a lot of us in here know that the Bible is super important. You've probably been to a church where you heard a pastor say something of the like where it's like, hey, if you want to know God, you need to know your Bible. You know, like you've, you've probably heard that before. You've probably heard, you know, someone say like, um, hey, prayer is our way of speaking to God, but the Bible is God's way of speaking to us. And we know that the Bible's important. And in fact, I know that as a Christian, there's something inside of you that says, I need to read this. But if we're honest, if we are really, really transparent this morning, we know that the Bible's not exactly user-friendly, right? Have you noticed that? Like, it feels like there's like obstacles in the way. It feels like there's like some things in front of us that keep us from fully understanding the Bible. It's like we expect the second that you become a Christian that you should be able to open this book up, they should be able to read it, understand it, apply it, and it'll change your life. But if we're honest, that's not how it tends to go. We feel like a lot of times we need a degree we need to be a pastor, we need to go to Bible college in order to fully understand what God is trying to communicate in his word. But I'm here to tell you today that that doesn't have to be the case. Yes, the Bible is very complex. Yes, there are so many nuances in the Bible. Yes, this thing was written a long time ago. Yes, there are some things that make it a little bit difficult to understand. But I want to tell you today that if you will do the work, you can actually understand the Bible. Man, all of us have this thing inside of us where we want to understand. Have you ever been around a two-year-old? You know what their favorite question is? Why? 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 You know why that is? God put that in them because they are seeking to understand what it is that they're doing. Man, you and I are no different. We want to understand things about our lives. We want to understand why we're here. We under, want to understand what this is about. We want to understand God and his word because we were made that way. 
the, uh, last month, uh, me and my wife celebrated 10 years of marriage. Uh, yeah, thank you. We noticed at dinner, we were talking, and we noticed that because we've date, we dated seven years before we got married, that we have now been in each other's life longer than we've been apart. Isn't that cool? We have, we've been in each other's life longer. And what's cool about that, what I've noticed, fellas, what I've learned, yeah. <laughs> is that I understand my wife a little better. You know what I'm talking about? You know, like, when I first got married, like, I didn't understand a whole lot, you know? <laughs> You can ask her. I didn't. I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand that when we got into a, like a little, little argument, a little fight. And I was like, I'm good. We're good. We don't need to talk about this. I'm, I'm fine. She was like, no, we need to talk about it. <laughs> She's a feeler, you know, like she wants to, she wants to know why. And so I understand that now. I'm like, all right, we got to, oh boy, we got to talk about this. Here we go. I now understand like all the, all the things that she says to me without using a single word. You know, like all the, all the looks that she, all the looks, like ladies, y'all are so good at communicating non-verbally. Y'all are incredible. Like you, you should teach a sign language class because it's incredible what you can do with your face. And I know when she's upset. I know when I need to run. I know, I know when you need to stop talking. Like all these things, like, but it, I've spent time with her because I've spent time with her because I know her because we have a history together and that history matters and that history is added up and that history I've learned and experienced so many things. I now have a deeper understanding of my wife. It reminds me of a story I heard of a guy who was walking along the beach and he found a, a, a little genie bottle. And so he rubs this lamp and genie pops out and he says, all right, your wish is my command, but I'm gonna give you one wish. Whatever you wish, I'll grant it to you. So the man thinks and he goes, okay, well, I've never been to Hawaii. I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I can't fly. So if you'll build me a bridge from here to Hawaii, I'll be able to go to Hawaii. So the genie started you know, thinking about it and he's like, man, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of sand I'm gonna have to bring in, a lot of concrete, a lot of steel, a lot of workers. Like, dude, that's a lot of work I'm gonna have to do. No, I'm not doing that. You have to pick another wish. So the man thought about it and he said, okay, well, really like to understand my wife, so I'd like to understand my wife. And the genie said, you want one lane or two? <laughs> I know. I know. That's bad. That's bad. That's so bad. That's from Pastor Chris Hodges, so I'll give credit to him. But it speaks of us, doesn't it? We want to understand. I want you to understand God's word because there's nothing on the face of this earth that has the power to shape you and change you and to make you into the image of God like his word. I love what the writer of Hebrews says about the Bible. Hebrews 4.12, this is what he writes down. He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and listen to this, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. What a picture of God's word. Did you catch what he said? He said that this, this Bible, this word that he has is like a sword, which is an external tool meant to make an internal impact. 
that God's word is living and active. We've heard of those things. We know that we should get into God's word. We know what Romans 10, 17, that faith comes from hearing the word of God. We know that Jesus in Matthew 4, 4 said that, hey, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on the very words of God. We know that this is important. We know that this is needed. We have this desire to understand this, but it's not that simple. Sometimes it's a little complicated. And what I don't want you to do is to see the obstacles and to see the nuances and to see the complexities of God's word and go, that's not for me. I'll just attend church. I'll, let, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to my pastors speak from the Bible. That will be good enough for me. Can I tell you, if that's the only Bible that you're getting, you're missing what God wants to speak to you. So my task this morning is simple. I want to help you understand this book. I want to help you get into this book. I want to help you read this book and apply this book to your life. So this morning, I'm not going to preach, I'm going to teach. This morning, we're going to Bible college, okay? So welcome to class, students. Uh, this is intro to hermeneutics. Uh, you guys are here. I'm not charging you for this class. It's free. I had to pay for it. We're going to learn a little bit about the Bible. And what I pray this does is that it opens your eyes it gives you some understanding. It encourages you to read God's word so that you can hide it in your heart so that you may not sin against him. So let's get into some key facts about the Bible. Let's talk about what you need to know about the Bible before you actually open the Bible and start reading the Bible. Okay, the first thing, the Holy Bible, the word Bible actually means book. So if we were to translate this directly, it would be the Holy Book, which is already confusing because this isn't just one book. This is comprised of 66 individual books. So right off the bat, you're like, well, that's confusing. 66 individual books. You need to know that they're individual books because the way that you read that will change. You don't just open it from the beginning and read it to the end. You can do that, but it's not the best way to read the Bible. They haven't placed these books in the Bible in chronological order, so it doesn't read like a normal book. This book is different. This book has intention, this book is specific. There's nuances that you need to know. 66 individual books is one of them. The also other thing you need to know about the Bible is that it was written over a period of 1600 years. One person didn't sit down and write the Bible. In fact, it was written on, in 12 different countries on three different continents with 40 different authors in three different main languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Also really important to understand which by the way, speaks to the divine nature of God's word. 40 different authors over 1600 years, three different languages. The Bible is broken into two main parts. You've got the Old Testament, which is the beginning of the Bible, and then the back half is the New Testament. The Old Testament is about God's relationship with the people of Israel. It's all about God's relationship with the people of Israel, this Jewish nation that God saw, that he chose, that he decided he was going to give the hope of the world, the Messiah through. And so we read this story and the beautiful thing is we get to the New Testament and we get to see it played out in real time because the New Testament is about Jesus and the church that he would establish. And when Jesus got to this earth, he changed everything, Amen. everything. Things you need to know about the Bible. But the greatest thing that you need to know about the Bible, I think the most important thing that you need to know about the Bible is that the Bible is a story about God. The Bible is not about you. It's not about you. 
think so many times we approach this word, we approach this book thinking that this book is about us. We're in it, we're not the subject. God is the hero of this story. We're gonna look at some key Bible terms here before we jump into some real practical things today. Uh, there, are, there are three ways that most human beings read the Bible. There are three ways that most human beings look at the Bible. They look at scripture, they try to understand scripture, and then they try to then live out that scripture. Three ways. The first one is what we call exegesis. Exegesis, okay? Exegesis means this. It's the process of discovering the original and intended meaning of a passage of scripture, okay? So if we were going to exegete a passage in simple terms, it means we are gonna try and draw out what God has put in. We're just gonna draw it out. We're not trying to do anything else. All we're doing is trying to read it for what it is. I want you to think about it like this. If you were to think about it in food terms, you've got organic food versus processed food, right? Organic food is the food in its natural state. They're gonna grow it organically. They're not gonna put any chemicals in there. They're gonna try and harvest it organically. They're gonna try and, we're gonna try and like preserve it organically. We're gonna eat it and we're gonna now absorb all of the good things that were in that organic food, the way that it came. The way that it came was perfect. All that it intended to be. Well, then you got processed food on the other side and processed food looks at the original and goes, okay, that's good, but I can make it better. So we add to it, right? All right? I'm gonna add some chemicals to this, some preservatives to this. We're gonna harvest more. We can now harvest in different seasons. We can now increase our profit margin. We can now make it bigger, better, faster, and we can consume it. But the problem that we're all starting to find out is that organic is way better than the processed. There was no reason to change what was already perfect. God's word is no different. There's no reason for us to add to, manipulate, twist, make our agendas fit, conform our lives, or make God's word conform to our lives. Instead, this word is perfect. This word is good. This word is trustworthy. This word is true. This word is something I can build my life on. This word is something I don't need to do anything but draw out of. To exegete a passage is the correct way of looking at scripture. I'm gonna look at the original intended meaning of it in its original state. But there are two mistakes that most people make when they look at the Bible. And I'll put myself right in there because this is how I used to read my Bible. In fact, I'll be honest with you, this is, these two things I have to be careful with because I like to just go back to them. It's an easy way of reading the Bible, but it's an incorrect way of reading the Bible. The first one is called eisegesis. Eisegesis is the process of studying scripture with a predetermined idea or concept and then forcing those ideas or concepts into scripture, okay? So if exegeting is to pull out, eisegeting would be to put in. Let me give you an example. Philippians 4.13, one of the most popular verses in all of the Bible. I can do all things through Christ, right, we know. Good job, class, you guys are great. Everybody gets an A. We look at that verse, and if we were going to eisegete or put into the passage something that's not there, we love to read into scripture, we love to manipulate it, we love to twist it, we love to make it fit us. Can I be honest with you, that passage is not about dunking a basketball, not about winning a championship game, 
Lord knows it's not about the Cowboys having a good season. I love picking on them Cowboys fans. I love it. Hey, I'm glad you're here, Cowboys fans. Grace of God is big enough even for you. It's not about that. It's not that, hey, with God, I can do literally everything. Woo! I'm going to go jump off this roof because in all things, bad idea. So let's look at it in the proper context. Let's draw out from what the original intent was. Philippians 4.13 is a passage of scripture describing the apostle Paul. He was in prison awaiting a trial where he would possibly be put to death for preaching the name of Jesus. And in prison, Paul pins a letter to the church of Philippi, a group of young Christians telling them that, hey, my circumstances don't look good, brothers. In fact, I might not make it out of here, but can I tell you that in all things, I can endure because Christ who lives in me. This isn't about doing all things. This is about being able to endure all things because the Holy Spirit that is within Paul and the Holy Spirit that is within us. You see how much better that is? So much more power that is. It's not about me. It's about God. When we isogeet the passage, when we, pull, when we put into the passage something that's not there, we create a God that doesn't exist. The second way that we interpret scripture where we get off a little bit, and I think this one is probably the most dangerous, is called Jesus. Narcissus, you guys are probably already picking up on it. It's a mixture of the word narcissist and exegesis. Narcissus is this, the process of studying scripture to find or put yourself in it. The Bible's about who? God, it's not about you. But we love to make ourselves the hero. It's what we've been brought up doing. We watch a movie, who do we play? We're the hero, right? we read a story, who are we? I relate to the prince in shining armor, of course. (laughs) I love to be the hero. But listen, when we do this, we miss the power of the Bible. More importantly, we miss Jesus. We miss him. There's There's a way of reading the Bible that makes man the hero and not the acts of God the hero. And if you mess this up, you're reading your Bible the wrong way. We miss the point. Because the Bible wants to consistently get your eyes off of you who are not able and onto a God who is able. That's the point of the Bible. Always, always, always scripture is pointing us away from ourselves and onto God. In my weakness, his power is made perfect. Less of me, God, more of you. It's always getting our eyes off of us and onto him. When I become a new creation in Christ, it is not I. I have now been given a new identity and God sees me as he sees Jesus. It's not about you. Let me give you an example of this. David and Goliath. When we narcissist a passage or we make us the hero, we take David and we're David. And the problems in our life become the giant. Our debt, our boss, your kids, right? You're like, in the name of Jesus, we're going to slay these kids. <laughs> Just a big, a giant problem. Can I give you some bad news, but some really good news? You're not David. That's the bad news. 
The good news is, it's even better. David is a type and shadow. The Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of something to come that is much better. It's so much better that you're not David. David points to Jesus. You know, that's so much better than being you. No offense. Think about the story of David. David, with his faith in God, enacts the justice of God for the people of God who are where? Hiding behind rocks, cowering in fear. They did nothing. They did nothing to deserve it. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like me and you, who did nothing to deserve God defeating the ultimate giant of sin and death, a penalty that was deserved for us, that we should have been out enacting ourselves, but God stepped in in the form of Jesus and he took that punishment on the cross. That's so much better. The Bible's not about us and we make it about us. We miss Jesus and when we miss Jesus, we miss the whole point. Can I tell you the danger of this? Let me, let me tell you the danger of what happens when we, when we do Jesus and Jesus. we create a God that isn't real. We create a religion that doesn't exist, a religion that's based on works, a religion that's based on you trying and putting all the effort and giving and doing as much as you can to earn the attention and favor instead of on a relationship. And we create expectations that will never be met. What's scary about that is when we do that, we look at this Bible and we go, well, I guess I just don't understand this. All right, well, I'll just leave this here. Let pastor tell me what to do. Or worse, we go, this doesn't work. That's not for me. And we walk away from God altogether. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to miss the beauty, the wonder, the truth, the transforming power of God's word. I wanted to speak to you. I want you to draw out all the goodness that he has for you. So let's talk about how we do this. I'm gonna teach you the inductive Bible study method, okay? This is a way, this is not the way. I think this is a really good way to avoid some of these mistakes. The inductive Bible study method. The inductive Bible study method is simple. It's an investigative way of looking at the Bible. The Bible, it seems like there's a gap. The Bible and you've got us and you get this gap here. The, The inductive Bible study method helps bridge that gap between the ancient world and our current modern world. Helps remove some of those obstacles so that you get to the goodness that is here. There are three keys, three steps to the inductive Bible study method, okay? First one is this, observation, observation. What does it say? Observation, what does it say? So when we approach scripture, just looking at what it says, we're gonna put on a detective hat and we're gonna notice everything that is happening in the scripture. We're not trying to determine what it means. We're not trying to to apply it to us yet. Avoid the temptation to do that. Just notice some things. You're just taking notes. So you're gonna notice things like, where is it at? You're gonna notice things like, are there repeating words? Are they trying to emphasize things? Who's in the story? What characters are at play here? We're gonna notice some things, all right? If you were a football coach or a football player, this is where you would go into the room and study film, okay? You're gonna get in there and you're gonna study film. You're gonna watch games that, is, that have already been played and you're gonna take notes. You're gonna look at the formations that they have so that when it comes time to play them and you observe something that you've already seen, you go, I understand that. I got that. I know what they're about to do here. 
So we're gonna observe. We're gonna avoid the temptation to interpret. We're gonna avoid the temptation to apply. We're just looking at the Bible. We're gonna ask six questions. Six questions you already know. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Who, who's speaking? Who's the audience? Who's the author? Those kind of things matter. Are they speaking to a Greek nation? Are they speaking to Jews? Are they speaking to Gentiles? Who's the author? What's their background? Are they a prophet? Are they a disciple? Who are they? We're gonna ask what? What's going on? What do I notice? What's happening? This is also a good place to jot down anything that you don't understand. All right, what does that mean? What's going on here? Because we can get to that later. And we get to when. This is about time. Time's super important in the Bible. When does it occur in the passage? Okay. Uh, When does it occur during the day, morning, afternoon, night? Is it talking about past, present, or future events? What's going on? Where? Location, location, location. So many locations in the Bible. Are they are they on top of a mountain? Are they in a boat? Okay. Like so many cool things. Like are they in a town? Like where is it at? So many cool things about the Bible. Then we get to why. This is where we start to investigate the cause. Why would they say this? Why, is, why, are, why are they writing this down? What could be going on here? And then how? In other words, in what manner or in what way? How? Now listen, let me, let me tell you this. Just because you ask a question doesn't mean you're gonna find an answer. Don't get discouraged. Ask the question. This is an exercise that you will get better at. At first, you won't observe very many things. Some of you, you're gonna be naturally good at observing many things, but as you start practicing and working through it this way, you'll observe more and more and more and more, and your understanding of what you're seeing will help you as you move to the next phase. So number one is observation. Number two, this is where we get to interpretation. What does it mean? Now again, let me caution you. This does not mean, what does it mean to you? I'll be honest with you. I don't care what it means to you. You shouldn't care what it means to me. When a pastor gets up and speaks, you don't want to hear from pastor. You want to hear from God. Doesn't matter what pastor thinks. Doesn't matter what we think. What does it mean? What did God mean? when he inspired these writers to write these words down. So when we say, what does it mean? We're not asking, what does it mean to you? We're asking, what did the author who wrote this mean to the intended audience? What were they think? What were they trying to get across? What point were they trying to make? What truth were they trying to help us understand? Why, why do we do this? Because there's two worlds at play here. We've got the ancient world with their customs and their times and their historical events. And then we've got our modern world with our customs, our times and our historical events. And we're trying to match them together like there is no gap. It doesn't work that way. Things have changed a lot between these two time periods. So we've got to do some work. So we talk about this thing called context. Context is something you may have heard a pastor say, a theologian say, somebody you heard on the internet or read on a blog. Oh, we got to Pay attention to the context. Context is simply this, the circumstance that forms the setting for an event, statement, or idea in terms of which it can be fully understand or assessed. Context will include things like history, time, culture, geography, original language, circumstance, even where it's at in the passage. 
We don't just pick things out of the middle of a passage without reading the full thing and understanding exactly what's going on. You wouldn't just walk up to somebody's phone and read a single text and make a conclusion because that's dangerous. You ever walked into a conversation that was already ongoing and you heard something and you go, what are y'all talking about? They're like, let me give you some context, right? Writers today do that. If we were to read an article about America, they wouldn't spend time writing down the context that America is this, founded on this, that the people do this, they average about this income, their their lives look like this. Oh, by the way, they just walked through a pandemic the past two years. They wouldn't spend any time on context. They would assume that when you read this, you understand the context already, right? The authors of the Bible did the same thing. Lord knows I wish they would have spent some time explaining some context, but they don't do that they, they already assume that the people that they're writing these words to understand the context in which they're writing, so they just jump right into the story, which means we need to pay attention. We need to do some homework in discovering the context in which it was written. We understand this. Fellas, you understand this. Your wife ever asked you if uh, this dress makes her look fat? Hmm? <laughs> You ever been asked that question? You don't want to say? (laughs) The context matters. The context in which the person asked the question, the person who asked the question, they matter. Because a lot of times the question that she's asking is not the question that she's asking. Would it be easier? Yes, it would be easier, but they don't do that. (laughs) So you better know what she's asking, even when she may not be asking it. She may really be asking, do you love me? Do you still find me attractive? Do you think this is out of style? Or maybe she's just asking you, like, because she just doesn't care and bold, and like, does this look, make me look fat? Either way, the context matters. You better be careful before you answer that question. You better understand the context, which means you better take into consideration the history that you have with her, the conversations that you've had, the conversation you just had. Because the context matters in how you answer that question, how you interpret what she's asking. The Bible is no different. We need to understand the context, so how do we get to understand the context? A Couple things to note. Let's note some repeating words and phrases in the history at the time, okay? We need to note some of those things. Those are good things to know. We need to understand that the Bible was written in genres, okay? We've got law books, history books, poetry books, gospels. We've got letters. Why does that matter? Because how you interpret poetry versus how you interpret law will differ. How you apply poetry versus how you apply law will differ. There are so many nuances in the Bible that we need to pay attention to. And so we've gotta be careful. We gotta understand the context. And in order for us today to understand the culture at the time, this is where we look at outside resources. This is where study Bibles, commentaries, Bible dictionaries really come into play. Now, I know some of you are like, man, I'd love to have some of that stuff. I put together, we put together a resource for you. At the end of this message, we're gonna give you this resource with all these really great things to help you read your Bible. Help you read your Bible. So, we've got observation, we've got interpretation, we finally get to application. Application. How does it apply to me? How does it apply to me? Listen, reading your Bible is more than an academic exercise. This is not about just gaining knowledge. This is about transforming your life. If we just 
observe and we interpret, oh, that's really good, but we do that just so that we can win arguments and be right, prove points. We're missing the point of the Bible. The Bible was not meant to argue for you. The Bible was meant to change you. When we get to this part, what is, how does it apply to me? This is where the Holy Spirit does the work of transforming us or shaping us into the image of Jesus. This is where, man, the rubber really meets the road. This is where the Bible really starts to take on a divine character in our life. And so, how does it apply to me? Here's some really great questions you can ask. Are there examples to follow? Are there commands to obey? Are there errors to avoid? Promises to claim? Are there doctrines to trust or principles to implement? Now notice this. All of those, all of those are about the heart. We love to go to action. Jesus, just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what I need to change. I'll do it. I'll change it. We, we think about behavior. We think about behavior modification and the Bible is not necessarily about that. These are results of what's happening in your heart. We love to think about action, but Jesus always points us to the heart. These are introspective questions. How does it apply to me? God, man, through prayer, Holy Spirit, reveal to me what God, your word is trying to show me in my life. What does this mean? How does this apply to me? These are introspective about the heart. Jesus is asking, do you love me? Will you obey me? How are you more like Jesus? Is there anything that I need to change? God's word is true. God's word is good. There's some nuances to it. There are, no doubt, there's a gap between our world and theirs. I want to encourage you to get into this. There's nothing in this world that can change you like God's word. So I wanna pull out what God has already put in. I don't need to add to it, it's perfect. I don't need to manipulate it, it's already good. I don't need to twist it, I don't need to make it about me. The story's already the best it's ever gonna be because it's about Jesus. This is what you need. Can I tell you, this may be what you're missing. Don't avoid it. Don't leave it to the pastors and the theologians. This word was written for you. Make no mistake about that. We gotta get into this. All right, Matt, cool, but like, what do I do if I walk through this and I still don't understand it? What do I do? Taught me all these little Bible study methods. What do I do if I still don't understand it? That's a great question. I'll be honest with you, there's still a lot of things in here I don't understand. A lot of, a lot of people that I know have spent their life studying this. There's still things they don't understand. Stop focusing on what you don't understand. There are still things that you do understand, things that you can build your life on. Just because you don't understand a nuance of scripture, a text here, or a law there, doesn't mean that it's changed the story. God is still good. Jesus still was a real man that came here, died, rose three days later, defeat death, and because of it, I have freedom from sin. 
This is still good. This is still good news. This still changes me. This is still something that I can stand on that is a firm foundation for my life. So instead of trying to focus on what you don't understand, man, think about what you do. I was talking to my friend, Josh Wright, and he told me this, and I thought this was the greatest thing ever. He said, Matt, if God was small enough to understand, he wouldn't be big enough to worship. I was like, man, that's it. That's, that's it right there. God is all powerful, the creator of everything. Why, why would we understand everything? If, if everything was simple and laid out and we understood it all, would you still seek him? So maybe that's the point. Okay, well, what, if, what, do, what do I do if I don't like it? That's a great question. Parents, why don't you ask your kids what they do when you tell them to do something you don't like? Truth is, you don't have to like it. That's not really a question you're asking. The question is, who do you trust? Do you trust you? Do you trust God? Are you smarter than God? Who do you trust? What if you don't like it? Yeah, I get that. But man, this Bible is not written to make you happy. The Bible is written to make you more like Jesus. And growth sometimes is painful. Following somebody is hard. But man, it's worth it. It's worth it. Hebrews 4.12, I'm gonna close with this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is good. It's an external tool meant to do an internal work. Read it, read it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Bible, for this word that you've given us, this word that through your Holy Spirit is speaking to us even today. And God, I pray for every single person in this room that whatever assumptions, whatever fears, whatever things they approached your word with, God, that they would see it in a new way. God, that you would give us wisdom, wisdom to see your word for what it is, why you wrote it, how you wrote it, when you wrote it. God, that you would give us perseverance that when we, man, stumble across things and we're having a hard time figuring out what, is, what you're trying to speak to us, God, that we would persevere, we would push through because this word is life. We need this. God, I pray that we would use your word every day to make us more like Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you like the content of this podcast, you're going to love our YouTube channel. Subscribe at youtube.com slash creekwoodchurch for video messages and full services uploaded weekly.